Hey everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that focuses on topics related to English language learners and how we can make a greater impact. Highest Aspirations is brought to you by Elevation Education, your partner for ELL program management and instruction. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. Happy New Year, everybody. How can we go about converting top-down approaches to professional learning to more relevant and engaging teacher-centered sessions? What is the EdCamp model, and how can it help structure professional learning opportunities to support teachers working with diverse groups of learners? How can establishing relationships with community organizations help schools better serve their students and staff? We discuss these questions and much more with Betsy Pegler, Administrator of Special Programs in the Rio School District in Southern California. Betsy Pegler began teaching in 2007 in a neighboring school district where she taught 6th, 5th, 1st, 2nd, and 4th grade. By 2012, she was an administrator for expanded learning, after-school programs, and supplemental educational services. Over the past few years at Rio Schools, Betsy has been a part of the effort to re-examine learning models, professional development, and community connections to maximize impact on the district's diverse groups of learners. All of this is highly relevant to this conversation around professional learning. As always, we are committed to keeping you informed and inspired with resources to help you support your English learners. If you're interested in learning more about Elevation, contributing to the series, or you just want to touch base, go to elevationeducation.com or email me directly at steves at elevationeducation.com. And remember, for both the website and the email, Elevation has two L's. You can subscribe to Highest Aspirations wherever you listen to podcasts so you know when new episodes are released. As always, thanks for listening. Stay safe and take care of each other. Betsy Pegler, thank you so much for joining us on Highest Aspirations. Hey, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. um, And I'm super excited to share um, some awesome pieces that that are thriving in our um, real school district. Perfect. And yeah, we'll come back to that thriving because you actually, uh, you have a conference called Thrive. So I will, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of tease that at the beginning and we'll get to it um, a little bit later. Um, but I wanted to start by talking about, this is all about sort of professional learning and, um, you know, professional learning or PD or professional development or whatever you want to call it. Um, I think you and I both know as sort of veteran educators that it can be a really amazing experience, but we've all had experiences uh, where it hasn't been as effective um, as it could be, particularly for multilingual um, learners and for teachers that are working with English learners. So I'd love to hear just to start off, um, what are some of the success stories that you've seen and what do you think have been some sort of missed opportunities in terms of PD, both in your district, which I think is doing a, a really good job with it from what I know, um, and just in general in your own experience? Yeah, definitely. Um, In general, you know, teachers love like choice and opportunity, um, but especially, you know, giving in, you know, their input and and really having that like collaborative input to to or the teams that are planning out this professional learning. Um, And, you know, especially if it's, you know, something that, you know, given maybe say a menu of, of options that they can kind of play out and, and work with, um, you know, what they would choose, but obviously those, those menu options are, are, you know, strategic, strategic by the administration, strategic by, you know, driven by who they're serving, which students they're serving. Um, and especially our English learners, um, you know, really being strategic as far as the, the, you know, most, um, utilized, you know, but 
but launch, you know, really launch, you know, st student success um, in developing second language, you know, and the best strategies, you know, so teachers engaging in those professional learning opportunities that, you know, are, are of a choice, but also, you know, that, that they are um, the best practices um, for them. And then, you know, really missed opportunities would be if it's, um, you know, very kind of delegated, you know, very top down, you know, this is, this is what you're going to do. Um, you know, maybe more scripted and, and gives the teacher a lot less option to be that professional, to be that, you know, curator, you know, to that, be that creator of their curriculum and instruction in their classroom, knowing that their students are of a particular, you know, makeup on the roster that it's not all, you know, diagnostic, um, you know, most, most of it is, but, you know, on the diagnostic end, um, but really the teacher giving them that liberty to, you know, curate that content. If it is scripted PD and they go out to, you know, kind of sit and get in a professional learning, you know, setting, and then they are expected to go out and be creative in the classroom and applicable of what they learn, um, that would be a missed opportunity as far as how they were engaged in the professional learning um, leaves them kind of still at a loss to how they would apply that in the classroom. Yeah, you and I are definitely on the same page there. And I knew that from our, our last conversation, which we did not record. We probably should have because we talked a lot about great things, but we'll we'll get into a lot of that today. I mean, the idea of choice and opportunity, um, you know, is the first thing that you mentioned, but I like it how you kind of put that uh, in that balance between structure and agency. I mean, it can't just be a free for all. Um, you know, if it's structured in a way that makes sense so that you're serving the students that that you need to serve, but students have some choice. And I also love it how you said, you know, you were talking about the negative when it's delegated and top down and scripted that the teacher in that position doesn't have the opportunity to really be uh, the professional, the curator, the creator, I think you said as well. So um, it's a really well said. And we'll, we'll, we'll scrape that. We'll get into that a little bit more. We kind of just scraped the surface of it, um, of it now. Um, but I wanted to kind of uh, get your perspective there and, and just, and just take out some, some key points. And I know you've done a lot of great work um, there at, uh, at, at Rio schools, um, developing high quality learning opportunities, professional learning opportunities. When we talked last time, we were talking about those um, ELPD cohorts that you run throughout the series, throughout the year. And then you have a series of one day workshops and reflections, and you have that covered by subs. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen now with remote learning and everything, but that's been traditionally how it's gone. How did you go? So the question for a lot of people is like, it all sounds great, but setting it up, which you've done, it seems like this has been in place for a long time. But so I want to step back. Like, how do you go about setting up these learning opportunities uh, at first? And then how do they evolve both naturally and strategically over time to make sure that you're maximizing impact on the teachers and then the students that they serve? Yeah, definitely the, the the setup and the inception of, and now we're kind of going into five years of that, um, you know, really unique professional learning, you know, platform that we'll kind of get into in a little bit. But, um, you know, really initially it was, what were those frequently asked questions? A lot of it was the, you know, instructional technology questions of how to utilize, you know, the professional learning um, but we've, we've expanded it into not just what teachers were asking frequently for use of technical tools, you know, in the classroom, et cetera, and the creative use of technical tools, um, though, too, just just learning to kind of, you know, based on who we know our teachers were, which, you know, kind of the, of course, this, the variety of teachers that are experienced, teachers that are coming in, you know, new to the profession, um, 
really just tuning in as, as a leadership team um, to, you know, setting up some, some of those options, you know, for, you know, someone that is, is looking to expand, you know, into, um, you know, an area, maybe one in particular, you know, of say, you know, um, platforms for their, you know, their classroom, classroom management platforms, et cetera. Um, but within that too, you know, the learning opportunities for um, the teachers to, to engage in that, that wouldn't be that laborious, you know, hour of the day, like after school or, you know, um, where they, they didn't feel like they, they were struggling to find time to engage in this professional learning, um, you know, just be, being creative as far as giving them multiple options and also really negotiating and collaborating with them, you know, as a, as a unit, you know, as a team, as a, you know, collective, you know, and, and so having some options, both at the district level, you know, at the site level, and then too, um, some te teachers are, you know, are interested and will engage on a Saturday, you know, so having some opportunities for them to um, participate in professional learning opportunities, again, just of choice of their time, um, compensation that would respect that they are professionals and, and wanting to learn more and wanting to, you know, um, really launch their understanding to, to build up, you know, what their, their students can engage in. Um, so just having some, a variety, you know, of even just like times and, and, um, you know, sessions, you know, and, but, but planned throughout like both their professional day after their professional day and possibly even on the weekends. Yeah. So it sounds like a lot of this goes, you know, just creating these programs goes back to learning about what the teachers want and then creating opportunities where they are able to not only attend, but to thrive at those times. You mentioned like sometimes Saturdays or different times that work. Um, and, you know, and then, then the idea of, you know, you had mentioned this idea of like a PD platform, which I want to get into in just a second, but, you know, you can't just create these these top down. And though it may seem like less, and, and I'd love to hear your, your uh, this is a statement, but I'd love to hear your reaction to this. It, it seems that, and, and in my experience, if you create these things top down, it's probably the easiest thing to do. And maybe in some cases, the most cost-effective thing to do. Um, but it's, it, it, it doesn't allow you to, it doesn't allow you to build a foundation for the, for the future. Whereas if you take more time and perhaps more funds, and I don't know, you'd, you'd be be better able to answer that question than I to kind of create opportunities that that work around what teachers need you're setting yourself up for uh, a better future am I sort of on the right track there yeah absolutely and um, you know and having their not just their participation as a participant but having them as a facilitator of these learnings you know really we have you know exceptional professionals and they do things you know in their kind of hobby time too paying attention to that and bringing in their their unique interests you know whether it be like you said in you know instructional technology robotics or you know um coding or, you know, bringing in their unique interests, you know, bringing in their talents and having them part really facilitate those professional learning, um, say sessions or workshops. Um, you know, the more that we utilize who we have amongst us and build up, um, and, and give them that platform to share what they know, the more we're really, you know, creating that community of collaborators, you know, professionals, you know, who collaborate and, and are willing to learn more. Um, you know, we find, I guess this kind of goes back to the opportunities that were missed was bringing in, you know, yes, our partners are important to us. Um, but if they facilitate sessions, you know, it really feels even more of a heavy top down, um, from, you know, our, 
where our teachers feel that, you know, sense of like, well, you're just, you know, making sure that I, I sit in this session and I'm getting, you know, hopefully I get something out of this, but those feel like missed opportunities in a way, you know, some, obviously some of our partners have exceptional professional learning and it's important, you know, in some, some ways, if it's, you know, um, you know, partly as say a platform that we really need to learn how to engage with, but Mm -hmm. we go back to that, you know, our, our language learners and what, what's going to launch their learning is the creative content. And when our teachers are engaged more and they facilitate those learning sessions, um, their colleagues are participants and they make more connections amongst one another. Um, we really see kind of launched, you know, little units or cohorts of, of our teachers and, and they just continue to build and thrive, you know, from, from their learning. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're, what you're getting into here is the idea of, you know, really not only incentivizing, but, but leveraging the skills of the teachers that you have not only in their content areas, I mean, it's easy to say, oh, you teach math, so why don't you do some PD on, you know, math uh, that you can work with maybe, you know, teachers of English learners, and you can combine academic language and, and content. And, you know, that's certainly very useful. But you're also thinking about bringing in teachers' passions. I mean, you know, I was a Spanish teacher for years, but Spanish wasn't the only thing I was excited about. And I can't remember ever having the opportunity to necessarily talk about sort of my passions and my interests um, that you know, for that might be useful to other teachers and more importantly, perhaps to the students that they serve, especially that group of English learners who, you know, sometimes it's a struggle and making connections is, can be the most important thing. You mentioned like something like coding. I mean, if you can bring in that passion and it can be a part of school, you're now uh, really building the intrinsic motivation um, of your students, but you have to build the capacity with the staff first. And we all have all of these skills that, that we may not necessarily know about that can come out in these types of PD opportunities that you're talking about. And I want to actually go, I'm going to skip to, to I have a, a, a list of questions here, but I'm going to skip one and, and come back to it because you started to get into just now the idea of kind of the EdCamp model um, for PD. And if folks don't know about EdCamp, I mean, the basic idea is that you're leveraging the people that you have to create sessions about you know, things that matter to your school and you have the choice of kind of walking in and out of specific sessions. And I'll let you get into that a little bit more, but they, more importantly, they allow, like you said, districts to lever- leverage the internal expertise of their staff while also giving participants the agency to choose sessions that'll be most beneficial to them. Um, talk with us a little bit about how you've used that model um, there in Rio specifically in Rio schools. And I'd love to kind of, if we could tailor it any way we can to sort of your, your, your EL population, I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, and I'd say we, we, we really utilized and, and felt like we kind of launched in that, in that frame um, during, you know, this, this distance learning. So in the past, you know, eight to nine months, we, we had agreed upon with our, you know, teachers um, of, opening up some Fridays to professional learning. Um, and, and so obviously it was opening up where their instructional time was, you know, really housed within Monday through Thursday and giving them a full day of options for, um, you know, four sessions, if you will, hour blocks of time, various topics, you know, um, for each, you know, hour that they could choose from. And we were doing this, you know, virtually um, and really launching that. So we're calling it our Friday um, Rio Strong sessions. So our Rio Strong 
Um, we, we also connected it to the gamified platform and we can go into that in a little bit. Um, those Friday sessions became um, very similar to if you were physically in person at an ed camp, um, they were led by our teachers, um, led by, you know, some, some co-facilitation, you know, between our, you know, principals, our leadership and our teachers. Um, and that, that our teams, um, including our classified, would participate in these Friday sessions um, and, you know, build in, you know, those, those learnings of, you know, the needs of our language learners, the needs of what, you know, tools are available to them or strengthening, you know, their capacity, the teacher's capacity within utilizing those tools um, to really enhance, you know, language, language acquisition, language development. Um, but like, you know, we said through various models or through various um, topics or sessions. Um, and that became, you know, really a, a, a highly rated, you know, participation of those Friday sessions uh, within the the virtual space, but very similar to EdCamp. If they logged into a session, oh, this really wasn't what, what I was looking for. Um, you know, thank you for the, the learning. You know, they would just exit out, log out, and then, you know, join another session. Um, and yeah, that flexibility had, had really become, um, yeah, almost like a, a, a new standard for us. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, as you were talking that the idea of remote versus in person, I mean, you, it sounds like you had already been doing these ed camps in person. Um, but it seems like in my conversations with, with people as they've gone remote, it seems like remote learning in some ways, one of the silver linings is that it's opened up the door for these kinds of uh, PD opportunities, professional learning opportunities to happen. Um, first, I, I want to know if you agree with that. And second, I'd love to hear from someone who's done it both face-to-face -face and, and remote, do you see any advantages in, in remote learning? I, I think we all wish that we could be in person, at least to some extent, and I don't know to the, the extent to which you have, but I'm curious if you see opportunities in remote learning when it comes to this kind of PD as it relates to, um, to bringing people together, leveraging their skills to support uh, English learners. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're a fairly larger district, you know, nine schools, but we've got over 500, you know, employees. And, and then too, we, we, when you open up to, okay, what were the opportunities to bring everyone into one physical setting, you know, for our, um, and we would do that annually. We called it our welcome back day. Um, and we would do that annually at the beginning of the year for, you know, two days of professional learning. And that was a challenge. It's a challenge to bring everyone together and utilize that time and space, um, making sure that there's something there for everyone, um, but limited to physical, you know, environment. Uh, we only have one school that can really house that many people and, you know, et cetera. Um, so this virtual space, right, is like, okay, you set up your, your virtual, you know, session to include over a thousand participants, you know, you have various ways that you can break them into groups and help them to, you know, um, connect uh, virtually, but say in the breakouts or, you know, however they might choose or exit and enter another session. So there's definitely more flexibility in that environment. Um, more people are, are flexible in their space you know, being able to attend without having any physical limitations of coming in person. Um, so it definitely has increased the participation rate. Um, and we've seen that flexibility of, of uh, across our, our certificated, our classified, you know, um, all of our, our, our teachers and persons that are, are supporting our support staff. Um, we have even seen more participation of our um, 
you know, those who service our students with specialized, you know, services um, who are also servicing, you know, um, you know, dual purposes, our mm -hmm. students who have special services and our, our English learners, um, they've been attending and collaborating with our team, speech language pathologists, occupational therapists, you know, our psychologists. So we've seen a definitely a just overall collaborative effort. We can have so many people in the same room, you know, if you will, virtually at the same time. Yeah. And people are bought in now because they have to be, there's not really a choice, you know? And so that's allowed people to become comfortable with the technology they need. They start to see, you know, things, things moving in the right direction is a, a, and I'm sure it's happening as we speak, but it's a prime opportunity for some, I mean, we're seeing the sort of qualitative anecdotal results of this whole thing, but it would be really interesting to see some, some research. And one thing that I kind of harp on all the time is bridging the gap between research and practice. What a great opportunity this would be. Teachers are teachers and administrators are doing the types of things that you're talking about uh, successfully in their eyes. And I think if, if, you know, if, if we do some, uh, some kind of hard hitting research for lack of a better term and bring them together, I think we'd find, and I'm speculating here, but I think we'd find some really interesting results. So we'll see what, what happens. And hopefully we don't lose sight of these opportunities moving forward when, or if things go back to whatever the new normal um, might be. Um, okay. So you've mentioned gamification a lot. And I don't want to leave this conversation without talking about it because it's really intriguing what you've done. You're using that gamification, badging and awards to help incentivize um, your staff. Uh, and, and this is something that I, that I sort of hear a lot about and I hear a lot of promise in it and it's in the research and people have tried it. I, I just, I don't know. I don't know of too many people who are doing it uh, as seemingly as effective as you are. And what, you know, and you're just taking it way beyond this kind of carrot and stick model. Um, so my question is, do you think that these strategies have helped build intrinsic motivation for your staff, um, particularly to, to sort of go and take the, to go the extra mile to learn more, particularly as, as it relates to helping support um, the, your English learners, which are obviously a, a big part of your population? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, as the, as, and there are various modules now that we've built up to, but, you know, if we look at the modules of, of, you know, those leveled, um, learning, you know, activities that the teachers, you know, in that platform, in the gamified platform have been engaging in, um, but have also, you know, um, again, if it's a, a new to the profession, you know, where, where this teacher starts, uh, we've got, you know, very leveled um, entry and various, you know, topics again, you know, how do you, how do you use a lot, utilize the instructional tools, you know, how do you utilize, um, you know, these, these, uh, you know, including like professional learning or some of the, the pieces that, you know, are really relevant to, to our, our district. So building the platform really speaks to, you know, what is it that your teachers are engaging in um, or have engaged in, or what would they like to demonstrate that they're, you know, creating in their classrooms or with their students. Um, and, you know, part of this gamified piece is showing evidence of that. Um, so again, this it goes beyond when they show evidence, it really takes them beyond. Again, we spoke earlier about those professional learning that, you know, are, are typically the sit and get, you know, and then they walk away with, and, and we might, you know, say as, as the leadership, we might be left wondering, you know, what, what did they do with that learning? You know, right. um, this gamified piece allows them to give evidence of that um, in that, 
as well, you know, when they demonstrate evidence and obviously someone's reviewing it and seeing, you know, the quality of what they're sharing and what they had created um, are awarded points, et cetera. Um, and that incentivized piece of so many points, you know, adds them to levels and badging. Um, and then, you know, there's some ultimate rewards, you know, there's some rewards along the way that are physical, um, you know, t-shirts, you know, some, some, you know, district, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, apparel and, you know, et cetera. But the ultimate reward is, you know, builds them to some options, including, you know, um, redesigning their classroom, you know, with, with, you know, several thousands of dollars of whatever they choose to be furniture, et cetera. Um, and all of that too, is that the students, you know, when the de teacher's demonstrating that evidence, this, you can see evidence of the students and of their, of their work or of their progress towards, you know, what they're learning as well. So, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of that hand in hand of, you know, yes, it's the teacher in their learning, um, but you can find evidence of the students and their learning. Um, and they're just continuing to make that growth and progress in their proficiencies of language and language development. Again, you know, based on these various topics, but, you know, it could be, um, you know, within say the speaking domain, that's a large area for our language learners that mm -hmm. um, is typically lower performing, if you will. Um, but as this teacher, you know, say uploads a, a piece of evidence of them using a platform um, that, say, captures audio recording or a video recording of, you know, so that the teacher had learned to use that platform. Now they're showing evidence, you know, that student's video. Um, you can see that they're then engaging with the, those very, um, you know, most most needed, I guess, if you will, most needed uh, areas, you know, for a student to strengthen their skills. Um, all while the teacher is doing their learning as, as well. Yeah. You know, I, I guess I just want to emphasize two things and you, you just, you just kind of covered a lot of it. So I'm not going to rehash everything you said, but two things that, that struck me, one was the idea of, and, and you know, it's just, it's kind of amazing to me that we don't connect these as often as we do. It's almost ridiculous that I'm about to say it, but the fact that it sort of is trickling down to the student and you're seeing this, the result of the professional learning by the teacher affect the student and their performance I think is, is really great. Um, and that you're sort of learning about that as you go and seeing how effective it is, not only with the teacher, but with the student is, um, is great too. And then I was just thinking, I wonder, you know, if you have this sort of platform and you know where teachers are in terms of, let's say their ability to serve English learners in the speaking domain, the example that you gave, I imagine it must be a really good opportunity to kind of say, Hey, like teacher a, you know, uh, is 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 going to be really great to maybe be kind of uh, uh, recruited for an ed camp style PD on speaking and the tool that they're using. Do you have the, you have the ability to look at all that information and and have you ever have you done that before? Have you used that data to kind of I don't know try to push somebody to maybe step out of their comfort zone or help others? Yes, um, absolutely. There's you know um, it's it's really glaring on the on the leaderboard, um, but it's further broken down as far as which levels you know each of your staffs are um, you know achieving. So you know when you see okay, level one of this module typically has these activities. You know, um, let's pay attention to which teachers have participated in that, and then obviously you can pull up the evidence that you know they have um, used to demonstrate their learning. Um, but we have, you know, we straight to the leaderboard, they become pretty competitive, um, not only just at their school sites, but across district. Um, and then they typically become those, um, you know, either voluntary or a, a strong uh, encouragement 
um, to be those leaders at, you know, say those real strong sessions, those ed camp um, style, you know, professional learning sessions. Um, and, you know, maybe possibly more hesitant because they, they feel that comfort um, or confidence, you know, just uploading their work and doing their work in their classroom, you know, right? Or, uh, most teachers think, you know, well, what makes me that expert to share my learning? Um, so, you know, it's just us, you know, further encouraging that they do have such great capacity, talents right. and skills that others can learn from. It's a great point. You know, people are humble. They do their thing in their class. They think that, hey, I'm not doing anything special, but you're so siloed when you're teaching that in some ways what, what you're doing could be incredibly valuable, but you just don't know it. And so having that, being able to see that, I think must be must be really, uh, really interesting. So uh, I want to shift a little bit over to something that you and I talked about before, which is something that you, um, you're kind of a, a self-proclaimed local of where you are. You've been there for a long time, so you understand your community really well. Um, and those community partnerships uh, are an important component to your programming for both staff and students. And, you know, we talk a lot about sort of community engagement and family engagement um, on the podcast, but your situation seems to be unique and extreme in a positive way. So talk to us a little about how you've gone about establishing relationships with community organizations and how they've strengthened professional learning for your staff. Yeah, definitely. Um, and again, this is another kind of choice or voluntary. Um, when we start to build in a partnership, um, we have a local university, for example, you know, building in a partnership where um, say they have, you know, a writing project or some really maybe more focused, um, you know, point of, of, you know, building curriculum and instruction capacity for teachers um, that, right, would further influence, you know, um, supporting the proficiency and development of our students, um, our language learners, especially, um, you know, it's, it's a, a very delicate in invitation into, you know, we are real schools, you know, this is our community. Um, we are, are wanting to strengthen and build a partnership with this, you know, um, the organization, if you will. Um, and, and then in that introduction, it becomes the, you know, introducing them to the teachers or, you know, staffs that might be, you know, interested or, you know, maybe they choose to, you know, accept that invitation and start to build in um, those relationships. So, you know, it's very, it's very much on the, on the, when, when it comes in, you know, when that partnership, you know, Hey, I, you know, whomever, maybe leadership, you know, most likely superintendent, you know, has that thought for a partnership, um, very delicate, not delegated um, introduction of this partnership. And then, just maybe organically, you know, really encouraging that organic development of, of teachers or administrators who would like to collaborate and build more into, um, say, these projects or long-term relationship. Um, one that started out really organically, um, you know, um, they even named themselves, you know, um, comes from some university, um, you know, professors that are in our local um, county and, and they've built into now they have named themselves within, you know, a lot of our teachers and administrators, you know, now they have this little, this team and always inclusive. They're always inviting more to participate um, that focus on inquiry-based instructional design. Um, you know, not, I don't want to, I don't want to liken it to project-based, but that's a lot like what it sounds like. Right, you know, right. really fo focused on an inquiry, you know, um, something of, you know, really, you know, a, a driving question for, you know, that are, that comes from our children, you know, listening to them first and then building on what, you know, their interests or their inquiries are 
um, but obviously very designed approach to, you know, um, coaching or mentoring the student to build their, their capacity. And we've seen some great um, connections for our children, but also for our teachers to really um, challenge, you know, their instructional design. Um, and obviously with the, the huge voice and leveraging our students in as part of that instructional design. Yeah. And we've seen, and I've done a few podcasts on, and I know, and I know we got to be careful. It's not the same thing, but we've talked a lot about project-based learning and inquiry-based learning and design. And it's really well-suited for students um, from a wide variety, for a diverse group of students. You know, and we all know that English learners themselves are not a homogenous group. I almost, I have a hard time even saying just English learners anymore because it's such a wide spectrum of students. And so, if you create these kinds of learning opportunities and bring in outside organizations, I, I think you're doing two things. One, you're promoting the natural curiosity of students, no matter where their skill levels are, whether it's language or content. And the second thing that you're doing is you are showing outside organizations the promise of students who they may otherwise think don't necessarily have the skills to be able to do what students of their age can do. In other words, you're breaking that barrier of like, well, they don't have the language skills, therefore they can't, they're not able to, you know, to, to perform as well as others. Have you seen those two things happen, particularly that second one? Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I feel like we really try to stay in tune to who those community partners are, how much of our community, our local community, um, do they represent? Um, let's say, you know, in our most recent project, um, you know, our, our superintendent and great leader of this of this partnership and learning, um, you know, has, has built in this river literacy project. We are Rio. Um, we are, you know, very much, you know, tied to our Santa Clara River, you know, our geographic region. Um, more importantly, our children, you know, learning and knowing and understanding, not just that you are part of Rio schools and that's just where you live, but the history of the river and how it influences them and how, you know, water is life and how we can learn from our ancestors, you know, of, um, you know, in our regions of indigenous, you know, groups um, who lived in our regions prior to us. So, you know, really building beyond uh, the world of, you know, you come into a brick and mortar setting, you know, you, um, you know, you, you're learning, if you will, um, even distance, right? <laughs> you're learning from these four walls, building that out outward, you know, and getting them to really beyond explore with with these community partners who are experts in their field, if you will. And, and then they, you know, collaborate with the teacher who's an expert of instruction and, you know, listen to the students who are experts in their interests and their learning. Um, and it becomes just a full, you know, real, real circle of, of building capacity. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. And I just, I love to hear those community, about those community partnerships. It just, I, there's so many stories and anecdotes that I've heard both, you know, and in some of the 130-ish interviews we've done here in Highest Aspirations and just talking with people. And they're always such beautiful um, stories. So I, w- I want to um, begin to wrap up by, by talking a little bit more specifically about something you're doing. We've kind of hinted at a lot of the strategies you're using, a lot of the things that you're doing both with community and with your own uh, internal expertise in your school district to um, make sure that professional learning is um, sort of uh, inspiring, is motivating, is useful, and is is structured in a way that teachers can get what they need, and then that students actually reap the benefits. One of the things that I was really impressed about was this, and we started the, the interview talking about this, you said thriving, and I said, you know, this Thrive Conference. So you just put this on, this Thrive Conference. 
And my understanding is that invites educators, support staff, parents, and community members and student leaders uh, to engage. And I'm re- I think I'm quoting the website, actually, to engage as a blossoming network in support of helping children thrive in schools and community. Um, this is becoming a little bit more common for schools, uh, although I was really impressed with your little landing page on the website that you had. Could you tell us a little bit more about this idea, how this idea came to fruition and how it supports um, the sort of spirit of professional learning in your district? Yeah, and I, d- I definitely want to compliment, you know, the leadership of our superintendent, Dr. Puglisi. Um, you know, he's he's very in tune to, you know, connecting, um, you know, how and, and why, you know, we, we arrive at certain points just as individuals, as a collective, et cetera. Um, so really, you know, upon kind of that beginning phase of, of you know, what is, you know, thriving? How can we demonstrate what's thriving by, by hosting a conference, and, and if you will, um, you know, it's just the visual of, you know, um, of those phases of, right, you know, survival, resilience, you know, thriving of, you know, when you're in those various phases, uh, whether personally, professionally, or as children or as families, right? Um, what do you find yourselves, you know, maybe uh, the visual he gave was, you know, the, the Charlie Brown Christmas tree, you know, it's like you're, you're, you're hanging on, you're, you're there, you know, you still represent, you still have so much to share and offer, but you're just, you know, barely hanging on um, to, you know, you know, fading, phasing into building some roots or you have supports of your community to, you know, uh, branch, you know, strengthen your branches and add some leaves, you know, to really a, a thriving, you know, very well rooted, you know, tree that just, what does that look like beyond fruitful now beyond and giving to others, you know, and, and in that, you know, metaphorically, what, what provides us with such a ground and rooted, you know, um, what are we doing? As, or is it as women in leadership? Is it as, you know, as those who have, you know, our, our artistic talents and sharing with others, you know, what goes beyond just what is thriving in Rio is this very well rooted to, you know, can at, you know, can really add and, and provide fruit for the life of others, you know? And so in sharing that again, the sessions, you know, um, opportunities for anyone to, you know, lead sessions, both our students, you know, our families, our, our staffs, um, and then, you know, what sessions they could, you know, contribute to, um, you know, that would, that would add in again, just speaking to that spirit of, you know, what is thriving? What do we find ourselves as like, you know, has, has been doing for years, you know, has been, has been able to, you know, add, add more. And we find, you know, great turnover of rates. So, you know, for example, the partnerships of our, our local, um, you know, naval base and, and that the thriving element is that we now see our students who have now graduated from, from high school are now employed and, and able to kind of, again, provide more fruit to the community, that program or that partnership, or, you know, those elements of what we have going on in Rio schools is thriving. Yeah, it's great. You're so you're thinking about the long term, and and as you described that, I think I teed it up before, but it's 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 like a sort of culmination or a formal way of um, putting together all the things that you've talked about with us this whole time. It seems like it's an opportunity to really uh, formalize and I guess define you know what your um, sort of mission is when it comes to. Uh, professional learning and learning in general. So I think it's I think it's really great. We'll make sure we share that um, that website because I was really impressed by it. You can learn a lot there. Um, and then what a cool thing, you know, putting on a conference doesn't seem like something that 
that too many sort of school districts do. I mean, we do a lot of other things. Maybe we do things like that. We just don't call them conferences. But uh, I think formalizing it is really is really a neat thing, particularly when, again, you've sort of built all the foundation around it. Um, so congrats on that to, to you and, and leadership uh, and your superintendent, whose name I now forget. What was his name again? Dr. Puglisi. Dr. Puglisi. So we'll make sure that we give him a shout out. So it seems like the leadership is obviously a key key point there and you um you you have good leadership over there which is awesome um so uh, two more questions uh and these are questions we ask everybody uh the second to last question is um is there a book or other resource that's influenced you either personally or professionally um that you'd like to share with listeners yeah i definitely um you know just first name uh option b facing adversity building resilience um author cheryl sandberg um as you know, not only just as personally and professionally, but our, both those worlds came, you know, crashing together for, you know, almost everyone, right, in the last nine months. Um, for and, sure. And really, you know, that that influence, how do I handle, you know, personally the option B, right? Option A is no longer an option, um, you know, whatever that meant, having, you know, certain um options in my community now being closed or et cetera. Right. Um, now having to really uh, find a different balance to, to, um, you know, the personal life that then, you know, obviously influences how much I'm able to commit or provide, you know, of myself professionally. Um, so, you know, that has, has definitely been a, a, a saving piece of, you know, just, just managing that, you know, what, what, when you're facing adversity and again, it could be a personal adversity um, or it could be, you know, you're looking to advance, you know, professionally and there might be some adversity to that. Um, how do you not just build resilience? Again, we, I speak to that thriving element, but, but beyond building the resilience so you can return to a point of thriving, um, you know, I'm, I'm very much a never give up. I, I had a very interesting, you know, per personally, you know, growing up and, and being able to, to thrive beyond um, what was initially, you know, my experience as a child. So, you know, I, I see that and finding joy, you know, Cheryl Sandberg, you know, points out finding joy in that, um, not just accepting, like accepting, okay, well, uh, plan A didn't work, you know, but how can you really elevate to that option B and build that joy? Um, and because again, you know, our, our worlds are really crosswalked now, um, it's continuing to find joy and thrive in your professionalism as well. Well, you sold that book to me. I haven't read it yet. And, you know, I say this all the time, but selfishly, I ask the question for, for listeners, but also uh, for me. And I feel like 90% of the books I read are recommendations from people that we bring on to highest aspirations. What a relevant book for now is like, I don't know if this is a secret, but you're in your car recording this because of the world we live in. And I'm, you know, downstairs in a little corner of my house trying to make sure that kids and dogs uh, are under control. So probably a highly relevant um book for right now. So I'll check it out. Thanks for that. Absolutely. So final question, how can people learn more about uh, the work you're doing? As I said, we'll put on that, that webpage of the Thrive Conference. Um, but what are some other ways that people might be able to learn about you and the work that you're doing at Rio Schools? Yeah, please find us at rioschools.org. Um, you know, obviously we have subsequent pages and, you know, other sites that we'll be able to build, you know, as you kind of navigate to various, um, you know, pieces or, or elements that I've spoken to, you know, what's thriving, um, you know, and how we're, we're focused on, you know, a variety of, of, of 
pieces, you know, for our children to thrive as well and our families to thrive and how we serve our community, but beyond, you know, how we really, you know, work um, to support them, you know, in their efforts to thrive. Um, so, you know, that our webpage would definitely be a great landing page. Um, you know, I, you know, to, you know, find myself finding, you know, many ways to share what's thriving in our district. Um, on Twitter, you can find me at B Myring and, um, and, and to, you know, connect through us um, on those platforms, Twitter, you know, on social media, um, you can find us real schools as well. Great. Well, we will make sure we link to all those things, the website, uh, your Twitter handle as well. And um, really appreciate this, uh, Betsy. This was a really interesting conversation. I think we, we sort of have a lot in common in terms of what our philosophy is. The difference is, is that you're um, out there doing it every day and you're in a place where it seems like it's absolutely foundational. Um, and so I think this is aspirational for a lot of people and hopefully um, gets them to kind of maybe think about this in their own context and uh, and 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 get started or just improve what they're already doing, maybe taking advantage of some of the silver linings that, um, that remote learning um, has brought to us. And with that, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's been a great honor. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.